Well, buongiorno. <clears throat> so good to see you, and uh, we missed you. So uh, Cindy and I are happy to be back from Rome. Uh, we've been there with about 30 of us, our, your fellow church members. We've spent this last week tracing the currents of church history all across the streets of the Eternal City. We've had a great time, and uh, some of our folks who went with us are back today. I've seen them. We have others who are still scattered. Uh, but prior to that, Cindy was in Africa for three weeks. Prior to that, she was sick for a couple of weeks, so she hasn't been to church in a couple of months. Cindy, would you mind standing just so everybody will know who you are and <laughs> welcome you back to First Baptist Arlington. We're so glad to have you. <laughs> anyway. But uh, we are glad to be back, and uh, I tell you all this every year when I get back late on Saturday night from Rome. Uh, I've told you all before about that preacher who dreamed that he was preaching, and he woke up, and he was. And so that might happen today, and so just bear with me. Um, but we're grateful to be here today. Um, thank you, worship team, for leading us in worship today. You all may remember our theme for 2024 is Together. And you may remember a couple of weeks ago, I shared a message with you where we talked about the competency of Jesus, realizing that uh, that's not typically a word that we use to describe Jesus, but I believe it's an appropriate and fitting word. Whether it's in his person or in his work, Jesus was fully competent. And now he has ascended to the Father and he's left behind his church. And his church is the body of Christ. And so it stands to reason that the body of Christ should be competent as well as we represent him and his interest in, in extending his kingdom on this earth. And so I believe the Lord has taken care of that and he has made it possible for the body of Christ to be competent in what we're called to do, the tasks in front of us, if you will. And so we've talked a little bit about that already. But let's talk even further and more specifically today about how it works in a local church. How does it work for real? And how's this competency developed and demonstrated in the life of the church? So I invite you to look with me again at Ephesians 4. That's been our text for this series this month. We're going to just look at, um, uh, or this winter rather, let's just look at a couple of verses out of Ephesians 4. I've titled the message, Caring and Feeding Together. Because that's what we're doing. <clears throat> in verse 11, <coughs> excuse me, Paul has already talked about the ascension, shown us a picture of the ascension. And then he says in chapter 4, verse 11, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now, beginning there in verse 12, there's the competency of the church stated by Paul. People equipped for the works of service, the body of Christ being built up, the people of God living in unity, in faith and knowledge of the Son of God, mature, actually attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. There's competency on display. Well, how does it happen? Well, it happens, obviously, through the work and the power of Christ within the body of Christ itself. So, let's talk a little bit about that this morning. Let me just show you this little diagram, if I can, um, on the screen, where you'll notice 
these five people that are mentioned in Ephesians 4, 11. The uh, apostle and the prophet, the evangelist, the shepherd, the teacher. You see, this is how some people would draw the relational dynamics of this, this group of talented, gifted people that the Lord's given to the church. If you just imagine the apostle is leading forward, the apostle is pushing the boundaries, the apostle is pointing outward. If you want to draw an arrow, you draw that arrow outward. The apostle is leading the church. The apostles sometimes, they serve in parachurch movements, missions organizations, campus ministries, all kinds of places where there's a lot of dexterity and, and nim nimbleness that sometimes can be found, but also in the church. If you go to the other side, see the evangelist, that arrow would be pointing inward. The evangelist is bringing people in the church. The evangelist is reaching those who are outside the body and bringing them forward. The prophet, you'll notice at the top, the prophet keeps us connected to the heart of God. So the prophet is that conscience, if you will, of the church. You see the teacher at the bottom, the teacher is keeping us grounded in the word of God, in the truth, in the revelation of God. But notice who we place in the middle. Do you see who it is? Who is it? The shepherd. The shepherd has the responsibility of managing, encouraging the unity and facility, facilitating the effectiveness of all of these working together. And so think about on top of that what else you have in the church. These are gifted leaders primarily. Think about where all the people of God are with regards to giftedness in Romans 12. 1 Corinthians 12, Paul talks about how God has given spiritual gifts of service, of encouragement, of generosity, of leadership, of mercy, of wisdom and knowledge and faith and, and healing and miracles and tongues and interpretation and helping. I mean, there's all these different gifts that are mentioned in the scripture where the people of God are gifted. These are primarily the leaders, if you will, those who are leading groups, leading churches. Because here's what's happened. Whenever you become a follower of Jesus, you're redeemed, forgiven, and now the Spirit of God indwells you. And so the Spirit of God is present in the life of every believer. So when we live together in community, the Spirit of God is present in the church. And the Spirit of God indwells us, and He empowers us, and He animates the church, and He energizes the church, and He, he brings wisdom to the church. And so the Spirit of God is what makes all of this work. That's, that's why the body of Christ can function effectively and be competent. And so these people, these, as we mentioned earlier, we, some people refer to them as the apes, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. Their relational dynamics are supposed to be strategic and synergistic and symbiotic and interdependent and spirit-filled and Christ-centered and biblically grounded so that in community together, we can help facilitate the competency of the overall body of Christ. Now, I would tell you that your ministerial staff, we've been studying together, we've been praying together, and just thinking through, how does this look in the life of a local church? And so we've, we've consulted some resources that we trust, and we have actually engaged in some survey material to help us better understand each other. So when we went to um, retreat, staff retreat, this past fall, we gave every staff member, ministerial team member, um, a booklet. And in this booklet, 
what we have is an outline, if you will, of these various people, apostles and prophets, evangelists, shepherds and teachers. And then we have, based upon our research and survey material, who fits in these categories. So we have our ministerial team uh, based upon their proclivities, their propensities. We actually have a little better understanding of each other, of those who are more apostolic, those who are more prophetic, those who tend more to be shepherds, those who tend more to be teachers, etc. And basically, we're, we're just now beginning to utilize this insight and material as we're trying to better understand how can we, as minister, ministers on this staff, help better facilitate the overall competency of the life of the church. Does that make sense? So all of our staff, our, our ministers have one of these, so we have a better understanding of how we work and how we see things. Because as the shepherd who's in the center of it all, let me just tell you, these people right here are all really different. Let me say that to y'all one more time. These people right here are really different. And I'm not even counting y'all. I'm just talking about these. It, it's filled with layers of complexity. But the goal is competency. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at the A-P-E-S-T. A we're going to do the apes next week. Apostles, evangelists, and um, prophets and evangelists. Today we're going to start with the shepherds and the teachers. Are y'all still with me? So let's look at the shepherd first, okay? What is a shepherd in the life of the church? Alan Hirsch has been researching this for many years. He's published a book called, and really a whole ministry called 5Q. It's a play on words a little bit. You, you may know what your IQ is or what your EQ is. Well, what's your church's 5Q? How's your church using each one of these people? Here's what he says about the shepherd. At its core, the shepherd is the vocation tasked with creating and maintaining a healthy community, promoting the common good, encouraging people in the faith, and ensuring the welfare of the people as well as the broader society in which the community abides. I think that's a pretty good definition of a shepherd. Um, shepherd's the, the heart of leadership in a church. The shepherd obviously is very concerned about pastoral care and making sure that the people of God are cared for. Now, in my personhood, just personally, I have a lot of shepherding instincts. That shouldn't surprise you. I'm a pastor. I've been doing this now. I've been a pastor of a local church for 40 years. So this is where I've lived my life, just being a shepherd in the lives of people. And here's how it works. There are two aspects to shepherding a church like this one. As a matter of fact, the churches that I've pastored. There's, first of all, there's just the people dynamic of shepherding. And what I mean by that is, as the pastor of a church, you want to shepherd your people individually, collectively. And so there's just a deep concern that I have as a pastor about you, which means that I pray for you. I pray every day for you. And I pray things like, Lord, I have no idea where these people are. You're scattered all over every day. I don't know where all you go. You're in school, you're in work, you're in homes, your businesses, wherever you may be. And I just pray that God will give you what you need for where you are, that you'll be good in the moment whenever it's called upon. I pray for the spiritual conversations that might be sparked because of who you are. I pray for God to give you wisdom as you're making decisions, whether it's in your family or at school with your friends or your job. I pray for opportunities for you. I pray for your welfare, your well-being, for your spiritual formation, that you'll grow spiritually, that you'll learn how to better follow Jesus. And then there are times when you have crises in your life. 
And so then my prayer for you is a little bit different because I'm, I'm praying for God to give you healing sometimes, for God to give you comfort sometimes, for God to give you strength because we all face those crises in life. And so just want you to know, as a pastor, uh, that, that's, that's a part of the dynamic in my relationship with you. Now, just imagine the frustration that you feel at a church this size. There's so many needs. There's so many challenges. And so consequently, I have help. Uh, Y'all know Katie Hodges. She serves as my associate in this role, and she oversees our congregational life. Brian, there are a number of us that are involved in all this. But also, y'all have shepherds in your small groups. Y'all are in Sunday school classes, Bible study classes, departments, ministries. And y'all know who the shepherds are in your group, don't you? You also know who they're not. Because not everybody has their shepherding tendencies. But you know who they are. And, and they're all over this church, as they should be. It's the way we pastor and care for people. So that's one dynamic when it comes to shepherding. But there's another dynamic when it comes to shepherding a church like this one and the others that I've pastored. There's, there's an organizational dynamic that the, someone in my position is required to face. You've got to shepherd an organization. That's very different than shepherding people from a pastoral perspective. Shepherding an organization is challenging on multiple layers because, first of all, at a church like ours, you have a staff which means you have people who are employed here, who are called here, who work here. And a part of my job is to shepherd the overall health and working life of that organization. That's a little different than shepherding individual members of the congregation. It's managing, if you will, the overall health of an entity like ours. It's very complex. But it's not just that. Also in our church, you have the, the opportunity and what I would say is responsibility to help me shepherd this congregation. And so you step into shepherding roles. So for example, some of you in this room and some of you joining us online, you serve as deacons in this church. And as deacons, you have a certain responsibility to help provide shepherding and oversight for this church. Then you serve on various committees. Some of you right now in this room, you're on the finance committee or you're on the personnel committee. You're on the Great Commission Council. You're on the facilities committee. You're on the advisory council. You know all those all are? Those are all shepherding entities. Is where you as a church member step into a role alongside me and other staff members and we help shepherd this congregation and make sure that it's healthy, that we're functioning well together, that we're living into our competency. And what I would tell you is, as I've watched pastors through the years, like I said, I've been doing this for four decades. I've watched a lot of pastors and I've done it myself. Pastors, more often than not, get in trouble in the church shepherding the organization way more often than they do shepherding the people. Because shepherding an organization is very challenging. It's layered with complexity. And uh, it can be really difficult. Let me tell you where it's really difficult to do. It's really difficult when you're trying to shepherd an organization filled with a bunch of Baptists. That's when it's really difficult. Not only that, if you want to add another exponential, fa exponential factor, why don't you try shepherding a bunch of Texas Baptists? I'm not talking about Baptists. I'm talking about Texas Baptists. Y'all know how y'all are. You're independent thinkers. You've got ideas. So here's the challenge. The shepherding of the organization takes place as we work together and hope to achieve unity. 
but there's time for dialogue and some disagreement because you may, you may be serving in a shepherding capacity and you think the organization needs to be shepherded this way. Others may feel like they're in the same position you're in and needs to be shepherded that way. You've got me in there. I may be feeling like it needs to be shepherded in another way. Well, put all that together and it can be very complicated. Here's what I would tell you though. I love it because I think it's healthy and I want you to be a part of it because it matters and I'm grateful that we have so many of you that are in the mix alongside me to help shepherd this congregation. Um, because what I don't like to hear is whenever I talk to leaders of the church or people who are in those positions and I say, what do you think? And, and the response is, well, whatever. I mean, whatever. I don't like whatever. Because whatever means that you don't care. I realize sometimes you're opening the door for disagreement. Trust me, I know that. And challenges and I may not like what you think we ought to do, but I always like you. I just may not like what, I, what you think we ought to do, just like you may not like what, are y'all still, are y'all in here still? Okay, the point is, here's what we're trying to do. We're trying to equip the people of God for the works of service so that the church can be built up, so we can be mature, so we can experience the full measure of Christ and we can accomplish what the Lord puts in front of us and we can do it all together in community. And we can bring all this diversity. Guess how it's possible? It's possible because guess who's energizing, animating, leading, and guiding? It's the Holy Spirit of God himself. Hallelujah. That's why it can work. So shepherding is, is challenging, but it's a wonderful thing. I'm grateful for it. We have across the life of our church, not only that, you have small groups. And in those small groups, we have shepherds that are caring for the needs of our people. So let me give you somewhat of my life verse when it comes to shepherding a congregation. It's found in Psalm 78, verses 70 through 72. The text there says, He chose David his servant and took him from the sheep pens. From tending the sheep, he brought him to be the shepherd of his people Jacob, of Israel, his inheritance. And here's the verse for me. And David shepherded them with integrity of heart, with skillful hands he led them. That verse for me, shepherd integrity, skillfully. That's, that's my challenge. And what I've learned through the years is when you're shepherding the people of God, organizationally, individually, when we're doing it together, if you do it with your heart and you do it with integrity and you do it skillfully, it's amazing how effective it can be in the life of the church. And it's a testimony to the power and the presence of the Spirit of God in the life of any one congregation. Now, <clears throat> with that said, I have some images in my mind. The principal image for me when it comes to shepherding is Psalm 23. Duh. I mean, what is Psalm 23? The Lord is my shepherd. Here's what I love about that psalm. When I read, reflect, meditate on Psalm 23, it's a very holistic expression of a good shepherd. You'll notice there's a word in that psalm about the head of a shepherd, about the heart of a shepherd, the hands of a shepherd the hope of a shepherd. All of those are important. And I find them in Psalm 23 because here's what happens to me. Many, many times, I can't even tell you how many times, y'all, many, many times at night in the quietness as I'm lying there about to fade off to sleep, I find myself most nights quoting the 23rd Psalm. I can't tell you how long I've done it. I quoted in the old King James because that's how I learned it. I'm still, he maketh me to lie down in the green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. I mean, that's just, I still have that. Here's how it normally works. I start for myself. 
And so as I find myself meditating on Psalm 23, I always start with me. Because you know why? I need a shepherd. And I'll quote that psalm and think about my need. But then I'll transition to you. And I'll think about my role in your life. And I'll meditate on how I'm doing when I read that text. Think about the head of the shepherd. The shepherd knows where the green pastures are. He knows where the, the still waters are. And he doesn't drive the sheep there. He leads them there. He, he, he's with them. And um, he's there for them. And so he, he, know, he knows how to prepare a table for them. Even in the troubled times of their lives. And so the, the head of a shepherd to me is on display. The heart of the shepherd is just woven through the whole psalm. You can't read Psalm 23 without just hearing the heart of a shepherd. Your soul is restored by the shepherd's presence. Well, there's just a heart relationship in that. And then the hands of a shepherd. He, he anointeth my head with oil. He, he knows me well enough to know. My cup runs over because he knows how to fill the cup that I need. I think about the hands of a shepherd. But also know sometimes when we're in challenging places... Your rod and your staff are with me. Well, the rod and the staff were both protective and disciplinary. You know, you, you need sometimes to be disciplined. So sometimes the hands of a shepherd are disciplinary hands. You know, when I was a kid growing up, I was always amazed, especially when I was a little boy, at the strength in my dad's hands. I could still see them. And I can remember how they welcomed me. My dad was a very affectionate, loving man. And so you'd finish a ball game and you'd play well. I can promise you, first thing that would happen is my dad was going to hug you and he's going to pat you and encourage you, tell you what a good job. But sometimes my dad's hands felt really different on my body. <clears throat> there was another side to my dad's hands. I well remember them too. But you know, it was always done with love. The discipline from my dad was never punitive at its heart. It was always redemptive. But I knew it. It just felt different. Well, you know, for a shepherd... Sometimes those hands have to be disciplinary. It's when you know you've got to deal with something in the life of the church. You don't always want to. You know, it'd be easier to not confront sometimes. It'd be easier to just let things slide. But sometimes you've got to address those things. That's when that rod and that staff, that sense of, of discipline takes place through the hand of a shepherd. But I also love the hope of the shepherd. What's the hope of the shepherd? That you'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The goodness and mercy will follow you every day of your life. Well, that's the hope of any shepherd. That's my hope for you. That that's what you'll experience, the beauty and the richness of the presence of God. And so, a shepherd, it is, it's a beautiful, beautiful role to play in the life of the church. However, believe it or not, when you take any test that I ever take, any survey ever, I ever do, that's not my primary gift. My, prim, my primary gift is teaching. Isn't that interesting? And so, what about the teacher? Well, again, let me just show what Alan Hurst says about the teacher. He says, the teaching function is about mediating a particular type of practical wisdom and philosophical understanding nuanced by the biblical worldview. A teacher, therefore, will largely be concerned with helping people gain insight into how God wants them to see and experience their world. As such, they will seek to bring theological truth and shape the consciousness of God's people to be consistent with that truth. I think that's a pretty good definition of teacher in the life of the church. And shepherds and teachers both play roles beyond the life of the local church. But with regard to the church, I think that's a good word. You know, the church needs teachers with insight and wisdom 
and grounding and theological development, discipleship and training and reflection and formation and dialogue and helping people find their way theologically. Teaching is a crucial role in the life of the church. And I'm grateful for the teachers we have. Let me just, let me just share with you what I say about teachers. Here's what teachers do for the church. They foster lifelong learning. They encourage a love for the scriptures. They facilitate theological development. They assist in constructing a biblical worldview. They lead God's people in understanding the word of God. That's what teachers do. And here's what I would tell y'all this morning. Um, that's my primary gift, believe it or not, is teaching. And, uh, but I'm also a preacher. And y'all know there's a difference between teaching and preaching. Preaching is a spiritual gift that's mentioned in the scripture. I've told y'all before, teaching is rubbing it on and preaching is, I mean, is, is, um, is pouring it on and preaching is rubbing it in. So the teacher will pour it on and then somebody like me will take it and just rub it in and make sure you got it. Well, but for me personally, sometimes when I'm teaching, preaching will break out. Sometimes when I'm preaching, teaching will break out because I have both of them inside of me. But you know what we have in this church? We have a lot of really good teachers. Praise God. Um, I'm, I'm looking at you, Brad, and, and, and Ryan, and Kurt Crodel. Don't we? We got teachers, and Casey, and we got a bunch of teachers. David Butts. I'm so glad we got teachers all over this place. We need them. Many of you, before you came in this room, where were you today? You were Bible study, right? Somebody was there teaching you. Somebody was helping you learn about the scripture. Teachers are so important across our church. So can I just say as the pastor of this church, thank you. Thank you. We have preachers and teachers in this church. Last Sunday, I was away and, and uh, we had wake up weekend. I heard it went really well, y'all. I prayed for y'all. I got to watch a little bit of it. But then Katie Reed Hodges preached for me. Thank you, Katie, for preaching last Sunday. And uh, she did a great job, I thought. And I'm grateful for her. And, uh, but guess what? I didn't just miss preaching. I teach a Bible study every Wednesday. So Luke Stair taught for me. Brad Eccles taught for me. Thank y'all. Teachers. Teachers are so important. We need them. So teachers play a role in the life of the church that are, that's just incredibly crucial. And it's every age group. Do you know, if you come to this church, I don't care how old you are or how young you are, we're going to teach you the Bible. We're going to start when you're a baby, right, Casey? And we're going to follow you till you die. Okay, we, we ain't ever going to leave you alone. You get as old as you want to in this church and you're still going to come to Sunday school and we're still going to be teaching you the Bible. It doesn't matter. You know why? Because you need to know. You need to keep growing. You need to keep learning. We never figure it all out. And so it's so important. And I, I just think about my life, the teachers in my life. My goodness, y'all. I was, I was a little boy at Wildland Baptist Church, Birmingham, Alabama. And I can still remember I got promoted to the primary department. When you went to the primary department at Wildland Baptist Church, Miss Mary Harden was a teacher. She taught my sister Linda. She taught my brother Emerson. She taught my brother Tommy. And then she had me. And you go in Miss Mary Harden's Sunday school class, and she had a little shelf around the wall. And she had on that shelf, she had a little New Testament. You know, had the picture of Jesus welcoming the little children. Y'all know what I'm talking about? That little New Testament. And there was one right here, and there was one there. There was one there all the way around. And then she had a little tab that kind of hung down off of that little shelf. It had every, every kid in the class's name on it. So when we walked in that primary class, of course, I knew it was coming because I had two older brothers and a sister that had done it. But you look up there on that shelf and you'd found, you'd find your name. Now, my name starts with a W, so I kind of had to go all the way around. You know, it ain't going to be that way in heaven. You know, the Bible says the last to be first. So all you ABC people <laughs> in the back of the line in heaven. But anyway, I finally get around to the W's and there it is, Dennis Wiles. And there's that little New Testament sitting up there. My name on it. 
But here's what you had to do in Miss Harden's primary Sunday school class. You had to memorize scripture and you had to be able to explain what that scripture was about, why it was important. And you had to teach the, the theology of it to your colleague. We're just primary kids. You had to teach the theology of it. When you could do that in public, you could go up there and get your little New Testament. Y'all, I did it. My assignment, here I'm, what was I? What was primary? Six years old, I can't remember. You know what my assignment was? Matthew 3, 13 through 17. Then cometh Jesus from Galilee unto Jordan, unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, yet comest thou to me. Jesus said to him, suffer it to be so now to fulfill all, it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he suffered him. And Jesus, after he was baptized, came straightway up out of the water. And behold, he saw the heavens open and the Spirit of God descended upon him like, like a dove lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son whom I am well pleased, Matthew 3, 13 through 17. And then I had to say, it's the story of the baptism of Jesus. He's given us an example about being baptized. It's also the anointing of Jesus. The Holy Spirit anointed him for his ministry because we need the Holy Spirit in our lives as well. It's also a picture in the scripture of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. When I could say that, Miss Harden went over there and I got my little Bible off of that thing. I still have it. Thank you, Miss Harden. Thank you, every Sunday school teacher. You know, really, think about it. It's, it's all in there. So you Sunday school teachers, what you're doing matters. When you're teaching a small group, it matters. When you're studying the Bible together, it matters. Because what's happening is you're helping to shape people's minds and hearts and ultimately their lives. And you have no idea the impact it's going to have on them. My brother Tommy was watching the first service. And, um, and so in between the services, um, he texted me this picture. And it's the picture of his little New Testament that he got when he um, did his verse in Miss Harden's class. And, uh, you know, years ago, I wrote Miss Harden a note and told her thank you. And the impact had on my life. She wrote me the sweetest note back. I still have it. That little Sunday school teacher in primary Sunday school class. So can I say to all you teachers, thank you. Because what you're doing is shaping people. Some of you teach outside the church. Thank you. Because you're shaping a generation. And it is a gifting from God. So guess what happens, y'all? Put it all together. Put those shepherds and teachers together, and we begin to build a competent local church. May it be so. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Lord, we thank you so much for this day and this time that we can gather. Thank you that we can be in community together and gather around this table and receive these elements and be reminded of what you've done for us. And we thank you, Lord, that um, you've given these gifted people to us, particularly today, these shepherds and teachers and how they've shaped our lives. And we pray that those of us that are in those roles, Lord, that we will live fully into them so that the church can continue to be mature and built up and that God's people can do the work you've called us to. And you receive the glory from it. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.